0: This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm co-host and executive producer Greg Masters, and I proudly serve as the managing director of Health Innovation Media, a digital media agency producing and curating original content for healthcare organizations, health systems, medical groups, physician networks, and the ecosystem of vendors and suppliers intent upon supporting their transformational missions. Joining me in the virtual studio is Pop Health Week co-founder and principal co-host, the one and only Fred Goldstein, who also wears the hat of president at Accountable Health LLC. Pop Health Week is your go-to platform for lively conversations where industry leaders and stakeholders from all corners, including payers, providers, patients, vendors, and the regulatory community come together to swap the best ideas and strategies in population health. To get in touch with us, swing by www.popupstudio.productions or why not drop me a direct message on Twitter. I'm Greg Masters MPH, and that is Greg with two Gs. You can also reach out direct to Fred via at FSGoldstein, or via www.accountablehealthllc.com. Today, we have an expert in pediatric value-based care and quality in the company of Dr. Jared Capoya, the Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer at Nemours Children's Health. And with no further ado, let's hand the mic over to the one and only Fred.
1: Thanks so much, Greg and Dr. Capoya. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you for inviting me. It's great. It's a pleasure to have you on a topic we really haven't delved into much, which is uh, children, et cetera. But why don't we start with give us a little sense of your background and where you're working?
2: Sure. So I'm a pediatrician by training. Um, I trained over at the University of South Florida here in Florida um, as a general pediatrician. I've worked most of my career as a pediatric hospitalist and spent about 10 years cumulatively on the West Coast of the United States as both a pediatric hospitalist. And that's where I got into quality and safety, really in a children's hospital setting. Um, in 2018, went to Arkansas and was the vice president of uh, quality and safety at Arkansas Children's, and that's um, where I where I continued some work in the population health space. I was also the medical director of the clinically integrated network uh, for Arkansas Children's, which is Arkansas Children's Care Network. Um, before moving back to Florida um, with my wife uh, this year, this past year, I've been at Nemours Children's Health now for about a year uh, in Orlando, Florida. Um, And I am the Chief Quality Safety Officer for Nemours Children's Health in Florida and also continue to work occasionally as a pediatric hospitalist. And can you give us a little background on Nemours? Oh, sure. So Nemours is a multi-state academic institution that really focuses on uh, the health of children. So our vision is creating the healthiest generation of children. Got multiple children's hospitals, one in Delaware. So one in Wilmington, Delaware, which is about, a, I think about a 260 bed children's hospital, quite a large uh, operation up there. In Florida, we have the children's hospital situated here in Orlando. It's 130 bed children's hospital, quite a, a swath of specialty care across central Florida, as well as primary care and then also multi-specialty uh, care centers in Jacksonville um, that also um, interact with uh, Wolfson Children's, part of the Baptist Health System, and then in Pensacola as well, and then, you know, places in between. Um, so, really trying to take care of as and deliver really high-quality care to as many children in Florida
1: as we can. So a multi-state children's uh, hospital company with clinics, et cetera, and yes. really a broad swath of services. When we think about children, uh, you know, it really doesn't tend to hit the radar as much for payers or an em- employers. You talked a little about the k- clinically integrated network you worked in in uh, Arkansas. Why is that and where are we with the move to value-based care or efforts to try to do that with children?
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I saw a quote in Florida and it said, you know, Florida has a limited strategy to embrace value-based payment in the state Medicaid program. And I think maybe that exists in a lot of places, right? Um, and, and maybe one of the reasons is, you know, when you think about it, children don't account for a large cost in the overall healthcare expenditure, right? We children probably account for somewhere between nine and ten percent of the overall, you know what is it, three or four trillion dollars that's spent every year on healthcare. And so there's probably an emphasis or, or essentially bigger fish to fry, right, in terms of trying to a more in, a, in an immediacy or immediate standpoint to reduce cost. I think also one of the things that we've talked about a lot, at least when I was in the clinically integrated network before then too, was that, you know, an investment in an in a, in early childhood, or even if you take it back to when the child's not even born yet, it takes 18 years to see the payoff, right? And so um, there's no immediate return on investment, although there are probably smaller return on investments over time, investing in primary prevention from day one or day zero um, versus trying to take an entire population that's already very costly and trying to drive down some of the costs um, to try to get the benefit there. So I think I think there's
1: a couple probably reasons there that, that the mm-hmm. focus just hasn't been there maybe. And do you see places where, like the di- a difference between perhaps Delaware and Florida, and how they look at, the, at children and uh, value based care, things like that? Yeah, you know, in my time in Arkansas, you
2: know, they they had moved to really managed care in the behavioral health population, and and with our clinically integra- clinically integrated network, excuse me, uh, really focusing on value based contracts within those populations because they obviously are somewhat costly uh, in terms of the the sort of the breadth of children. When I was in Washington State, there was also a big move there by the Healthcare Authority so the sort of the body that funds the managed care organizations from the state, um, a big movement to really move towards value-based payments uh, and incentives for primary prevention measures. And I, so I think there are some places that probably have gotten ahead um, of the curve a little bit more more so
1: than than where we are currently in Florida. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about it, I mean, you know, I think about it from a population health approach and think, wow, we move way upstream, which is started day zero or pre, you know, and the impact could potentially be enormous. We know about the disparities we see in in birth outcomes and infant mortality, et cetera. So it it really seems to be an area that would resonate. And you would think with children, I mean, naturally, there's this natural care for children. Mm-hmm. And and so it's sort of fascinating. We haven't moved in that direction as much as I would assume we could.
2: Yeah. It's very, it's interesting to me because exactly what you just said, you know, there are programs out there, early childhood programs. So one that I was familiar with that we implemented in the state of Arkansas, but it's been implemented in New York and Colorado. It's called Healthy Steps. And really it's a focus of, of holistic care in the ages of zero to three, focusing on not just the child, but also the parents um, and making sure that The parents are healthy, making sure that the child is healthy. And what they've shown is, is actually by doing that, you actually space out the amount of space out the time between births. Right. So your birth space (laughs) spaces out. Parents tend to have uh, a more positive experience in parenting. Um, There's a lot of anecdotes that we used to get from parents um, where they had substance use disorders or other things where. was there was a lot of impact on their life by having those resources embedded within a primary care clinic to manage not only the child but also to help them with the coping and the parenting skills and as a result there is in that case an immediate return on investment right um, for every dollar spent so i think um, states like arkansas who now provide i think their medicaid program if you're enrolled in the patient-centered medical home program within medicaid they will actually provide you an incentive payment um if you're enrolled in one of these early childhood programs like healthy steps mm-hmm.
1: little behavioral economics yeah to uh, in fact uh, individuals that's fantastic you talked about the clinically integrated network and in there was that mostly from a clinical perspective or were there some um value based things like uh based on clinical outcomes or some financial mm-hmm. risk associated with that there was no risk it was all it was all upside and I, it mm-hmm. was mostly
2: um you're right. It was mostly clinical measures. So there were there, there were some care management type measures. Um, you know, there were some medication reconciliation type things, vaccinations, um, well, child care visit rates, you know, adherence to path clinical pathways, you know, whether it be asthma or bronchiolitis, something that's very common. There were some outcomes like chest x-ray utilization and um, use of different kinds of medications, um, that there were incentives built in, sort of tiered incentives built in if, if those measures were, were met.
1: Do you think that the the uh, newer biologics, gene therapies, et cetera, that are coming out now for children mm-hmm. are going to perhaps put more of a, an eye on looking at this as something we need to begin to focus on potentially?
2: I hope so. I mean, many of those are very expensive, right? Yes. Um, they're in the, the, the multiples of millions of dollars. But when you think about it, you spend two or three million dollars on a drug to save 50 to 100 million dollars of care. Um, yes, I do think that will be an emphasis moving forward, especially in populations like muscular dystrophy or spinal muscular atrophy, where they already have some of these treatments out there. And actually at Nemours, we were the first facility in the state of Florida that that provided the medication. And I'm blanking on the name. I don't I don't want to mispronounce it. But yeah. we were the first uh, pediatric facility in the state of Florida to administer one of the gene therapies
1: to a child who had Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Well, that's fantastic. You talked about it. If you can impact something that early, right. boy, right. over a lifespan, the potential savings are are enormous.
0: Well, and well it's the quality of in the, life,
2: <laughs> and then the opportunity. cost. I mean, so then then the the cost back to society too. That now that this, you know, that there's going to be the healthcare cost, but then the
1: also the benefit to society as well as the co- the the benefit from a quality of life. You're right. Fascinating. One of the areas that we talked about a little bit before before was. Was uh, population health and quality improvement, and you made a comment that sort of really rung my bell. As I said, which was, we really need to look at how we merge these two together. Can you discuss that a bit and your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, it's an it's an interesting concept, and you know, I I think I had talked with Alex Koster here at at Nemours about this a little bit early on, and um, I think he he had ideas in this area which really stimulated more ideas for me to start thinking about this. But, you know, I think in the quality and safety space as a chief quality and safety officer, we tend to draw a line, I think, sometimes between really what we manage from a quality and safety standpoint in the acute care settings and even in the specialty care settings from really managing, you know, we, we don't think of managing populations when we're trying to reduce central line associated bloodstream infections or we're trying to reduce readmissions. We're not, we don't always think, well if i if i look at a population i define that like an as you know an asthma population or geographically let's say we just kind of think of okay let me look at all cause readmissions and try to reduce those by trying to understand the factors but we don't necessarily always think about okay what are the care milestones within a population are they being met what are the gaps how are we addressing those and are those contributing to some of the things that we're seeing from a readmission standpoint i think one more recently that we just started thinking about where I started thinking about was you know central line associated bloodstream infections and surgical site infections are two harm indicators that we follow from an acute care standpoint. Those things happen in the ambulatory setting as well. So there are a lot of children out there whether they have cancer or intestinal failure or on dialysis that they have central lines and they are they are primarily managed in an ambulatory setting. Same thing with a lot of ambulatory most surgeries are ambulatory surgeries and so how do we apply this thinking of, okay, in an intestinal failure population, if I'm trying to manage their nutrition, their weight, why don't we consider this as well, right? What is the care of the line? How are we managing that? How are we meeting the different milestones that need to be met within whatever bundles that we're trying to accomplish? And or if we do get an infection, how is that being managed? And how do we, it's kind of care management and then then risk management, right? So we're (laughs) managing the care and we're managing the risk. And how do we put that into say, one registry, and we have a care manager who can manage those sorts of things. I don't know that we've thought about it that way in the past, but I do think it's an interesting sort of Venn diagram of, Mm -hmm. you know, concepts or strategies that we could put together and really probably advance outcomes even further.
1: Yeah, I think about it from the days of doing population health programs or the disease management programs that we did, children with asthma or or adults heart failure or COPD or things like that, or even some mental health areas, and it was really well, what we're looking at from a quality perspective is is did they follow the evidence-based guidelines, you know, but we didn't really go beyond that. and then, in the hospital side, you really had that focus on well, they're here and then they're gone, right and now we're trying to sort of bring those worlds together through that continuum, so it would make sense to try to say, how do we integrate that quality component across the board with that population health or care management, yeah.
2: Yeah. Or, or we just focus on a measure, right? So in a diabetes population, let's say we just get really hyper-focused on the A1C, or we get really hyper-focused on, you know, trying to keep children, you know, out of the hospital who develop DKA, let's say, but then we miss the larger, if we just managed that group and made sure that they got the care that they needed holistically. So we looked at all the care milestones that a di- that somebody who might have diabetes needs, we will accomplish that, right? We'll accomplish whatever those other things that we're trying to do, whether it be drive down their A1C or keep them out of the hospital. But I think sometimes within our space, we get really hyper, especially the the, the those of us who've grown up in acute care settings, get really hyper-focused on a measure, right? Instead of the sort of more larger set of measures that we need to be managing as a whole. And, and the other thing with pediatrics that I would say, you know, we go back to your original question. There's not a lot of, I don't think there's a lot of care management dollars. And I think some of that, again, maybe it's us not being able to describe things as well. So, for instance, in Florida, you know, with Nemours, we have multiple sites of care. So, we have Pensacola, we have Jacksonville, we have, or you know, Central Florida, and we, we have GI populations, let's say, in each one of those settings, children with inflammatory bowel disease. You know, I think if we can better describe the care that's being provided to that population across the state eat, in each location and then aggregate it, we could probably create economies of scale, right, where we could probably... Mm-hmm. Take care management dollars and really make them work and provide value back to a, a payer, insurer, a purchaser to say, and give us an investment and we'll, we'll return that to you twofold just based on, you know, creating these economies of scale across the state. And I think Nemours is probably po- poised really well to do something like that.
0: For those of you just joining us, we are in the company of Jared Kapoya, MD, the Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer, a practicing inpatient pediatrics clinician at Nemours Children's Health. Stay tuned for the rest of the story.
1: And how much of that might be due to the ability to integrate the data or things like that? I know we talked about that across the system, a lack of data integration and hindering the ability to analyze what's really going on in the places. Is that part of it? I think so, but I don't think that's the biggest barrier. I mean, I think we can
2: get that information. I think we have a good system set up, at least here, there where we have access, at least for mm-hmm. the children seen in our system, we have access to that. Now, when we get into where our children are then seen in another hospital setting, or, you know, we have to rely on an exchange, or, um, you know, we use the Epic system, so there's a there's a care everywhere function, but I think yes, I think sometimes it is probably harder to piece some of that together, but I I don't think that's the biggest barrier. I think it's probably us telling the story better um around what what is it that
1: we're trying to accomplish and and how do we how do we organize the work in a way that makes the most sense. So it's really a workflow issue in a sense and then looking at it and saying we're going to go after this, do you um think that this might be something where you talked about, you know, going to a provider and saying, or a payer, excuse me, and saying, hey, look, we've we're, we've got this program we'll put in, we, be, we believe it's going to create better outcomes, potentially reduce costs. It was funny, I was on a program the other day, and it was that somebody said, yeah, you know, we haven't seen any cost savings. I said, but the outcomes look better, weren't they? So even for the same cost, you were getting better yeah. clinical outcomes. Oh, we were. So that is a good reason to do it. You know, is, so uh, <laughs> even for that, you know, would be would be something worthwhile. Do you think that that might be something you would say you could take to somebody, or is it something you would say, hey, we could put a bundle together around this to price something like that? Yeah, I think it's probably probably the former. You know, I,
2: I think we could probably develop models or use existing models, like I mentioned before, like Healthy Steps, and say. Hey, let's do a demo. You know, for that, for instance, let's do a demonstration, right? I mean, it's already been shown to work somewhere else. Let's do a demonstration here and follow a cohort for a few years and show, you know, what that return on investment can look like. Yeah. And it's really a small investment when you think about it, because again, most healthy children do not cost a lot of money uh, to the healthcare system, or it's in the inflammatory bowel disease population. I think you're right. I think it's. It's developing the model and the workflows to show, hey, if we can take care of this in an organized way, and we can sort of bring these populations, these discrete populations that are being managed separately, and look at it as a whole, we got a we got a critical mass now where we can actually um, show how we're driving down, you know, driving these kids into remission, you know, getting their their BMIs up to the right place, and having them out of the hospital because hospital care is extremely expensive. Then I think we can show, okay, yes, if you if you give us these you know, per member per month dollars to manage these patients, we will return that in, you know, several fold because they're not being cared for in an acute care setting. They're really
1: being effectively managed outpatient. Right. So it's really when we think about the children, your comment about, you know, not costing a lot. I remember back in the Medicaid days of running a health plan, that five to 12 year old or five to 14 year old was like no premium at all, you know, but early, right, first year kind of stuff later on, you had things going on. And uh, it does make it difficult. But within those populations, you do have these really unique illnesses and stuff that are very high cost. You, You do. And you're like, when you say early on, it's interesting. You go to the
2: doctor as, you know, when you're born, what do you, you go to the doctor in the first couple of years of life, what, like seven, eight times, right? Um, And then after that, it's maybe seven or eight times until you're <laughs> an adult. And so there is a critical time there that I think where you can really influence health outcomes later on, the health of a child, right? And a family for that, that matter, because yeah. I think there's so many encounters that you have there. And if you can get them to adhere to that, get their vaccines and start instilling some of those those things early on, I think you're you're really going to have a lot of success, and that's where
1: I think an investment would be wise. Mm-hmm. What about the issue? Uh, I don't know if you've talked about this much, but um, of behavioral health and mental health with children, anything going on there? Yeah, and I, I know you've probably read articles um, where mm-hmm. there's
2: there's a real increase, uh, whether it be called a behavioral health crisis. I know the the state of Colorado actually. Um, declared a state of emergency as it relates to childhood behavioral health uh, conditions. Um, it, it, it has become um, an issue in the sense, I think, especially through COVID kind of unroofed, I think, some of the problems to the public. I think we we in children's hospitals have been seeing this for a long time, I think. But I think um, it's probably become more public in the last few years. But yes, it's it's some of it's a resource issue where there's not enough places where there may be Either providers or just brick and mortar to take care of patients with certain conditions. I think the other thing is, is that we have to worry about is especially children who have um, autism, especially nonverbal um, autism. That when they be when they become adults, there's not always a place to transition some of these children to. So we may have some of those resources in childhood, don't have those in adulthood, and that's a that's a real problem, and that becomes a cost over time. And then there's, you know, obviously the beds. Um, I, I read a statistic about Florida in terms of beds per, you know, per, her need uh, from a behavioral health standpoint. I don't remember the exact number, but, it, it, you know, it's it's woefully low, right? And we we board children in our emergency departments who need acute resources, crisis resources, and, you know, the emergency departments are not the right place for children like that. And so, that is another place where an investment uh, in time, I had, a, I had a graph, it was when I was at Thomas Jefferson and the, the master's program there, I, we doing some sort of graph of spending over time in, in healthcare, you know, and like we talk about, it's up near 4 trillion. And as that graph kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger, I had a lot, two lines at the bottom, which were essentially static that just went across as straight lines near the, near the bottom of the graph. And one was behavioral health spending and the other one was substance abuse disorder. Right. spending That just hasn't tracked with overall healthcare spending. And I think that's probably something obviously that needs to be done
1: over time as well. Mm-hmm. Increase spending. I know. Um, I've seen a fair focus from uh, Nemours and others on social terms of health mm-hmm. and going after that. So obviously, children. I think Medicaid has a lot of children in it, and I, and the disparities we see there. I, I guess that's become a fairly substantial focus of the of the company and the group. Yeah. So, and that's that's not something that we we've, we've been intimately involved
2: with. But yes. So there is a survey that that patients will get when they come in to the organization, and it focuses on things like food insecurity, um, um, housing housing security, those sorts of things. We also do. I mean, to your other question, we also do mental health screenings, especially mm-hmm. in the acute and ambulatory settings around, you know, depression risk, suicide risk, those sorts of things. But yes, um, there are social determinative health screenings that that happen and and, and resources that get connected to um, if there is a, if a need is identified, um, either either through, you know, and, and it's sort of a tiered approach, depending on what the need is, of course. Um, we do have social workers here and especially in the hospital settings that help with some of that.
1: Um, and then connections like 211 and other things in the outpatient. Right. Center, so Excellent. So I should ask you this earlier on, but what made you get into the quality area? What? Yeah. And- it's a good question. Um, you know, I, when I came out of training and
2: I went into being a hospitalist, I felt like I was at this vantage point in a child's health care, right? where they were sort of between different places. So you had your primary care provider. you had the many of them would come through an emergency department. so you kind of got to see the care that was provided in different locations, and then they come into the hospital, and then you hand them back off to a primary care provider. And I, you could see, so a couple things that I noticed was one, we in the acute care setting had an extreme amount of variability in how we would manage children, right? So somebody coming in with asthma, I may manage them one way, my partner may manage them a different way, in the ER they're being managed a third way, the primary care provider's managing them a fourth or fifth way, and then we're handing them back off to a primary care provider thinking our way is the best way, and then we hand them back off with, Here's what we've put into place. Who knows what's going to happen after that? Um, so that was one thing. So just the the amount of variability and just management, I think, was one thing that I saw. And then just having that precipice of, like, being able to view the care, you could see the dysfunction in the healthcare system, right? And that, that people would, one, have trouble with coordination. So especially the, the medically complex, right? They may or may not get the appointments they need. They may or may not get connected with the providers they need. And then they end up in the hospital. Right. And so I think that's really what drove me into getting more interested in quality. And the first my first sort of gig in quality was developing clinical pathways or, or you know, clinical practice guidelines, getting at trying to reduce some of that variation that. Uh, in management and that was really in the hospitalist setting and then that grew to very quickly grew to our clinically integrated network and really trying to you call it our pediatric collaborative so it had a it had a, a primary care arm it had a hospital arm and then we had several neonatal intensive care units within our uh, network and uh, healthcare system and so we would we would create pathways for all three. And so that was like my next sort of job after that. And then just more and more got into more quality safety, self-educated, and then went and got a master's at Thomas Jefferson and in, in healthcare quality safety management and kind of went from there. And then my my goal after you know, after those, those those experiences and really helping a healthcare system identify key measures for pediatric health. Was you know I really was like you know I'd really love to run a program at a children's hospital and then Arkansas Children's opportunity came along. It's a fairly large you know three hundred and thirty five bed hospital in Little Rock and another smaller tertiary care hospital in the north northeastern northwestern part of the state and about twenty five beds and clinics across. You know I was like this is this is great and there the the mantra was really trying to improve child health. Their state state rankings are not very high. They're always usually in the bottom five to five to ten in the United States. And I was like, who wouldn't want to get behind that, right? And so being able to lead a program there was just
1: amazing. And then having the opportunity to come here has just been great. Yeah, and obviously, I would assume you can really get a chance to see results on a large scale once you begin to implement these and really make a difference. Absolutely. Um, and I think I shared, you know,
2: I think when we met was at a conference. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I think when when we implemented, we, we were very fortunate in Arkansas. I worked with a team at the Clinically Integrated Network. Um, and we were fortunate to get a million and a half dollars to demonstrate this Healthy Steps program I told you about. And, you know, they they already saw just in the first couple of years of that program, no really measurable in the clinics that were participating, about seven clinics participating, um, mm-hmm. no measurable maternal depression screening happening. Wow. After two years, it's over 60 percent. Um, same That's thing same with, with, you know, birth spacing, as we talked about vaccines, tobacco cessation. So there's so a lot of benefits to
1: just in a very short period of time, like you said, over a large scale. Well, that's fantastic. And thank you so much for coming on. A great way to finish the program, Dr. Kapoya. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. And back to you, Greg.
0: And there you have it, folks. That is the last melody on today's broadcast. We want to extend our gratitude to our worldwide listeners for tuning in. And our heartfelt appreciation goes out to Dr. Jared Kapoya, the Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer At Nemours Children's Health, a practicing inpatient pediatrics clinician for more than 20 years. Stay updated with Nemours' groundbreaking work by following Dr. Kapoya and Nemours Health on Twitter via at Kapoya, and that's C-A-P-O-U-Y-A and at Nemours, that's N-E-M-O-U-R-S, respectively. And for more information, head over to www.nemours.org. Stay updated with Nemours' groundbreaking work by following Dr. Kapuya and Nemours Health on Twitter via at Kapuya, that's C A P O U Y A, and Nemours, N E M O U R S, respectively. And for more information, head over to www.nemours.org, especially if you're exploring innovation, pediatric value based healthcare. If you find our Pop Health Week content as engaging as we do, please show your support. Give us a thumbs up on your favorite podcast platform, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes. Remember, we're live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for our friends on the West Coast, that's 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. From all of us at Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein, and yours truly, Greg Masters, we urge you to stay safe and stay tuned. Until next time, fare thee well.